this morning on the mind of Christ. And I go take a thought there. I want a little leeway this morning. I was, uh, went to bed last night really, really tired. I went to bed about nine. Normally for me, midnight is closer to normal for me. But I was tired, so I went to bed about nine o'clock. And uh, I usually get up about 5.30 to put all the thoughts I've collected over the days ahead of a, a message and, and my notes and all my scriptures and check everything and balance everything, try to get it uh, to where it works. And at about 6.35 this, this morning, my wife kicked me and said, uh, we have already late. The electricity had went off. And so our lights, instead of telling us what time it was on the clock, were flashing. So we had slept way over. Well, I still went through the normal routine, whatever that is, trying to put together. But if I'm a little bit uh, falling behind here, uh, you'll help me pick up the pieces. But I want to speak on the mind of Christ out of Philippians, the second chapter. So if you'll turn to Philippians 2, we'll look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful again for the opportunity we have to come as your people into the house of God and come with a praise on our lips for how good a God you are and come with an attitude of worship to give you the glory you deserve for all you've done for each and every one of us. So help us in every way, Lord, to study your word, look into your word, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts to be the people you've called us to be, and we'll praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I have to cut down some of the scriptures I'd like to or, or I wouldn't be able to get all this particular thought in. But in the mind of Christ, I want to read in Philippians, the second chapter, starting in verse 5. It says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee shall, should bow of things in heaven, of things in earth, and things under earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We'll stop right there. I'd, I even like to take time to read it from the Amplified Bible. And it says in the Amplified, uh, in your lives you must think and act like Christ Jesus. Christ himself was like God in everything. But he did not think that that being equal with God was something to be used for his own benefit. But he gave up his place with God and made himself nothing. He was born to be a man 
and became like a servant. And when he was living as a man, he humbled himself and was fully obedient to God, even when that caused his death, death on a cross. So God raised him to the highest place. God made his name greater than any other name so that every knee will bow to the name of Jesus, every, everyone in heaven, on earth, and under earth. And everyone will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and bring glory to the Father, to God the Father. My dear friends, you have always obeyed God when I was with you. It is even more important that you obey God while I'm away from you. Keep on working to complete your salvation with fear and trembling because God is working in you to help you to help you want to do and be able to do what pleases him. Amen. I want you to know, saints, it's a full-time job being the person God wants you to be. It's full-time. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of thinking. It takes a lot of everything. And in verse 5, when Paul says, let this mind be in you, he's given you the secret to make sure that your full-time job is going in the right direction. If you think like Christ thought while he was on earth, you'll be going the right direction. It was not only a full-time job for us, it was a full-time job for Christ also. Number one, uh, he was God in the flesh. Amen. We talked about it in Sunday school again. When he was talking about everywhere he went, what did he do? He healed. He delivered people from uh, uh, devils. He did all the things that you would want Christ to do if he were sitting beside you on a pew this morning. Amen? So all those things that Christ did, even though he was God, did you ever notice? Jesus never did work a miracle for his own good. Huh. He never did. Isn't that something? Well, uh, he endured all the temptations we face, and the scripture says, yet without sin, and he was the leader of those that were called into a full-time ministry, if you would, called the disciples. He took three years out of his life just to make sure that he walked with them, taught them, led them, was an example to them, so that they, one time, would be able to step forward and be what God wanted them to be once Christ left this world. You see, we're not, we're no man, not even Christ, was ever put on this earth to stay forever. We've all got a due date. Amen? We all do, and we're all getting there as quick as uh, eternity can roll our way. But not only did Jesus want to help those guys get their heads on straight, I guess is the way we would say it nowadays, he not only wanted to help them while he was with them, but he wanted them to carry on his work after his departure, after he ascended back to heaven. Now me, I kind of cringe if you wouldn't think, why in the world would anybody that lives in heaven with God want to give that up and come down and walk in the same shoes that we walk in on earth? Amen. 
None of the issues that we think of or problems or circumstances today are even talked about, if you would, if you want to talk about it that way, when we get to heaven. You could say, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God why this happened. And why. No, you won't. Now, that won't even cross your mind once you get to heaven. You're not going to worry about why your neighbor had a better car than you. You're not going to worry about how many bedrooms and bathrooms is in the house that you're looking at that you can't afford. Amen. That's not even going to enter your mind. You're not going to wonder why somebody had it better than you or maybe why you had it better than them. That will not enter your mind. Amen. But as a part of Faith Christian Fellowship, I have the same responsibility I feel on myself to try to guide and help others Find the way to heaven. That's what it is. Amen. I want to not only walk in my salvation, but I want to lead others to God in the same way that I found God so that they too would find the way of salvation attractive in their lives. Amen. Because there's coming a day when we'll all get together one of these days and that's going to be the end of the walk on earth here. I need to make sure that I've laid the foundation as best I can so that others can find Christ the same way. After all, amen, I'm soon going to be 71 years old. Oh, oh, it's only about three weeks away. Amen. And as a leader of the congregation, I'm always looking to others to help them see the need of salvation worked out in their own lives also. Amen. I'm busy right now because I'm a retired lawnmower repairman. What are you laughing at, Bonnie? She's laughing at the word retired because I'm already booked for two weeks in advance. Amen. I've been working from sunup to sundown trying to get all these mowers ready because everybody. I'm telling you, if their grass ain't cut, I think the world's about to come to an end sometimes. Amen. But I get to meet a lot of people because of that are calling me constantly. I even had one lady that about jumped through the phone because when she called, of course I wear bib overalls, you know that's the only way to work, right? And in my bib overalls, my phone is right here, my, this in the bib of it. So all I have to do is pull it up and hello. She was shocked that I answered on the first ring. Isn't that something? She said, nobody answers their phone anymore. Amen. They wait and let the answer machine answer, and then if they want to talk to them at their convenience, they'll get back with you. Well, I've learned that also. But she was shocked that, well, I'm in a hurry. I ain't got time to listen to the answer machine. I'd rather you tell me, and then I can ask you a question if I'm talking to you. That works for me. Amen. But as a, as a leader of the church or as a leader of this particular congregation, amen, I want to see God working in the next generation. Decades from now. Amen. When they you have to push me up the, the ramp out there in a wheelchair or whatever it is. You know, that might be 150 years from now, but still. Whenever that happens, I still want the things that we've done. How many of you can say in your, under my leadership, if you would, as a pastor, can say, you know, I did something because Brother Dude preached on it. I've told others about something because I heard 
brother dude preach on that well probably all of us can do that because I know you most of you have said to me I had a situation and guess what happened it worked out or what you said in your message was exactly what I needed in dealing with this situation well how about that that's what God wants us all to do you know what that doesn't work just one way there's been times when I've heard you say things that while I was talking to somebody else in that week, I used your words or your example of what God can work in somebody. So if we all have the mind of Christ, we're going to be working together thinking on the same thing. Amen? So in generations to come, who knows? But God, who will be the leaders in the decades to come here at Faith Christian Fellowship? But my prayer is that we can, not just me, but all of us can find, teach, and guide them that seek the mind of Christ. Amen? That's our job. Amen. Verse 6, Paul's telling us that Jesus was consistent with all the understanding that he had of God. That's what his life was. He wanted to be a consistent person in his walk before God. Amen. Now, that will be easy for him because he was God. But guess what? He was crowded around on all sides by sick, devil-possessed, blind, amen, and even dead people that he raised back to life. He could do what he wanted for others and yet himself not consider what miracles he could do for himself but he wanted to see everyone else be that. You see, everyone needs an example. All of us are looking for an example. Amen. Now they use different terms for it nowadays. They, they call them other things other than example, but uh, that's what it is. When it comes to God, Jesus determined not only to set the example that God put in him for others, but to pass that on so that others down the line will find that walking in the way that God set the example for them, they can set that same example for others. How about that? Amen. So as we go on and look at what Paul's telling us here, let's not get ahead of ourselves, but in verse 8, he said that he became obedient even to death. Amen. Now I know none of you are looking forward to your death, but guess what? It's coming. So why not live so that when you are in that position, others will remember the good things you did because the mind of Christ that was in you. Amen. Jesus took time to go be alone with his Father. He did it in prayer. He did it in solitude. He did a lot of things. He took time to pray. He took time to, to be alone. He took time to seek God's will for his quote-unquote human life or his uh, earthly life and his earthly teachings. He wanted to be on the same page with God. Amen? Even when it came to death in the garden, his quote was, Not my will, but thine be done, O Lord. None of us want to face death, it seems, but it's a reality. And on the other side of the curtain, so to speak, there's a, a blessing that we know we're missing if we don't go through that uh, part of life. Even Christ, who was equal to God, and I say that because he was a man, but he was still one-third of the Trinity, even while he was a man. So he knew the, the 
benefit of, of being in the, if you would, the will of God and the position he had and its benefit. But you ever notice, again, he never did a miracle for himself. Amen. Amen. Jesus never wanted to be, if you would, on a pedestal as a human being. He wanted to be on the pedestal, if you would, of doing the will of God. Amen? That's what it's all about. Amen. He just wanted to be the true test and the true example. When you go through issues, when you go through tests, when you go through trials, when you go through temptations, he has already been there. And he's one that can walk you through those things when that's part of your life in the coming days ahead. That's in. So when you face these same situations, you'll have an example to look to to find the victory past all those stumbling blocks that the devil and the world want to put in your way. Amen. He's already faced them all. Amen. I wonder how many times a day did Jesus say as he walked on earth and a problem came up. Now we say WWJD. What would Jesus do? But now Jesus couldn't say that. He had to say, what would my father have me to do? Amen. He'd say, WWMFD. How about that? What would my father do if he were here? Well, everybody has that example. Even though I'm not, a, uh, a, I'm not in that 71-year threshold yet, but I still have many flashbacks of what my dad taught me as I was growing up. He was an example to me. He taught me things that I still use as uh, wisdom in my life, and they have always worked for me and been there for me, and the times they proved that they were the right things to do. We all have people in our lives like that. Not only my father, but I've been around Christians that have taught me a lot of things. Amen. So, uh, there's a lot of persons that I've crossed paths with in this life that I've drawn wisdom from. And I needed to use that wisdom to, for me to keep my eyes on the path that God has for me and use the mind of Christ to get through those things. Now, I know none of you here are full-time pastors except me. How about that? So I'll preach from my viewpoint. Uh, hopefully someday some of you will be. Amen. But... As a pastor, you know what I did to learn how to be a pastor? I didn't go to college. I didn't go to all these schools. Well, I took some college courses, and I went through ordination, and I've done a lot of teaching. But you know where I learned it all? I watched other pastors. Amen. I learned what to do and what not to do by watching other pastors. Amen. I know there's, there's plenty of room for me to make my own mistakes, and for my own growth as far as that's concerned. But I learned most of what I know by watching other pastors, whether they were doing what was effective in ministry or not. Examples are important. And our greatest example was Jesus Christ. They help us to be who we need to be and help us to help one another and help others to find the path we need to get others on their way to heaven. Amen. Remember, we should always follow the righteous examples and dismiss the unrighteous examples. Amen. Either way, the mind of Christ 
is what's going to help us be the example God wants us to be. If we think like Christ, we're probably on the right track. In verse 7, it said he made of himself no great reputation or no reputation at all, if you would. He made of himself that he was just, if you would, another person. The Amplified says in verse 7 there, I wanted to read that again, but he gave up his place with God and made himself nothing. Amen. Now, he was still something, but we're talking about a reputation. What kind of reputation did he have? Huh? Well, it depends on where you sit and looking at him. Well, you think the reputation of the chief priests and the Pharisees were of Jesus? Well, all you got to do is read the New Testament and you'll find out they weren't impressed. You know why? Because they had their reputation to uphold. So when you're in the mind of Christ and your reputation is leading you away from what the mind of Christ would tell you to be the, uh, of his reputation, you need to make some decisions. There are some things that need to be done. I kind of, in a way, I feel sorry for all of those. Even in the New, the old, the New Testament first century people that thought they were in the hand of God. And yet, all they want to do is argue and fuss with Jesus and actually did their best to kill him, not just his influence among the people, but kill him physically. They wanted him crucified. And eventually, they did get their way. Amen? So when he says he made himself nothing, to be honest with you, that's what we are before God if we're not in the mind of Christ. We're nothing. Amen? So when we think of ourselves to be something, when we're nothing, what's the scripture say about that? Hmm. All right. He deceives himself. If you think you're something when you're nothing, you're deceiving your own self. Now, as we find ourselves in the position of a man or a woman, it behoove us to take on the same servant attitude as Christ did rather than think of ourselves as something when we're really nothing without Christ and walking in the way that this world would have us to walk. We need to make a transformation. We need to have an example. We need to look to one that can get us off the wrong path on to the right path. Amen? And in verse 8, it says that Christ humbled himself. Amen? Because he was a man, he had to humble himself. Now, if Christ looked at being a man as something that he needed to humble himself, what about us? Huh. Humility is really hard to find this time in our society. Amen. I've often said there's two kinds of Christians. Those that are humble and those that are going to be humbled. Amen. It just depends on where you are with your walk with Christ. Amen. But humility is really hard to find in our times. There's times when I look at the scriptures and I need to understand that the wisdom of God and the truth of the application of scripture is when those people that know what to do and do it, do it in a way that when they read it, it makes a difference in their life because they're following the mind of Christ. If we can get that through our thick heads, so to speak, and read it, we need to understand some things about what's going on now. Now, we need to understand about scripture also 
Whenever you read scripture, it has to be in context. That's the first thing you should learn if you're ever going to be a Christian and follow the word of God in your life. Bible context means much. It is the basis of the truth that's coming from the word of God. For example, in the first century, one thing that kept people in line and humbled was the fact that they could face the death of the cross. History tells us that over 30,000 people were crucified in the first century on crosses just like Jesus was on the streets outside the city of Jerusalem. There were times when the cities from every angle that came to Jerusalem were lined with crosses of people that probably did something that the mayor or Pilate or the high priest or somebody disagreed with. And they hollered, crucify him, and they did. Now, we only know of three. We know Jesus was crucified with a thief on each side of him. Amen? That's the only three we know of. But let's think about it. Let's say you was walking to Jerusalem and at the Passover season, one out of every four in the then known world went to Jerusalem for the Passover. How about that stuff? They claim that in the days of Christ when he was crucified, there were eight million people in the world and two million of them were in Jerusalem for that Passover. How about that? Now, where'd they come from? Well, two million can't live in Jerusalem on a full-time basis. Even Jesus, to find a place to rest in the week of Passover, had to go to neighboring cities or out in a garden of Gethsemane or the Mount of Olives somewhere outside the city walls just to find a place to lay down. They were that crowded. Isn't that something? So if you're one of those two million or one out of every four in the world that comes to Jerusalem for that Passover feast, which God commanded and expected everybody to do, as you walked in and you saw 30,000 crosses along the way, what would that do to your mind? Uh-oh, I wonder what he did. I wonder what happened there. I better walk the line while I'm in Jerusalem or they're going to have a cross with my name on it. Amen? It was a deterrent to a lot of the things that they didn't tolerate, if you would, in Jerusalem. In the first century, to be hung on a cross, the Bible says several times, cursed is the one that's hung on a tree. Amen? Because that was a not only a certain death, it was kind of a death sentence or a capital punishment, if you would, because Jesus um, had to face that, and not only did that happen in the first century, but every time it did happen, everybody was aware of what happened in the city. Amen. It was a cruel death. It was an agonizing death. No matter how strong or how weak you was, it put your body through the torture that it had never been through and anything else that you had done in your life more than likely. Amen? Then the Bible says, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. So when it talks in the scripture there of him being uh, humble and obedient even to the death of the cross, in the first century that meant a whole lot more than it does today. Amen? But in the mind of Christ, well, real quick, in, in John, the 12th chapter, 
Let me just read a couple of verses to you just to stamp on that. It says in verse 32, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto him. What do you mean by, if I lift up, I'll draw all men unto him? Verse 33 tells us. We don't have to guess. He said, signifying what death he should die. If I be lifted up, the term lifted up meant you be hang on a cross. You'll be crucified. That's exactly what it means. And Jesus told him, if I be crucified, ah, then I can draw all men unto me. Why? Why? They don't need to be hung on the cross, but that will be the position he has before his heavenly Father as the sacrificial lamb for the sins of the world that you and I could have forgiveness of our sins. Amen? That's what that scripture means, to be lifted up. Amen? So everybody in the first century that would be reading this, see, I like to think a lot of times in, in my mind when I'm studying and reading the Word of God, I like to think, I wonder what this disciple thought of that. Or I wonder what the Romans thought of that. Or I wonder what the Corinthians were thinking when they read this. Even though this letter was written to the Philippians, um, they passed them around from place to place. Those in Galatia, those in Ephesians, those in Colossians, they all got to read the same letters. They were passed around because that's the only scripture they had to relate to the people that were doing the things they were doing in the name of God. But to us in the 21st century, it does show the humility and obedience to the mind of Christ that Christ was obedient enough to die on the cross. How about that? Amen? He was the sacrificial lamb of God for your sins and my sins. In the 21st century, we'd see it one way. In the 1st century, those readers, they had probably witnessed the crucifixion. And to them, what they saw was it was a disgrace. Even the one thief on the cross spoke up and said, Hey, if you're the Son of God, get us out of here. And the other one rebuked him. He said, man, you don't have any respect at all. What's the matter with you? He has done nothing to be on this cross, and we, the two thieves, we deserve it. We deserve to be disgraced. We were thieves. Amen. You can go back and study the guy they let go. His name was Barabbas. To, get, to make room on a cross for Jesus. See that, going into that day, they were going to crucify three people anyway. They already had the crosses. They was going to crucify three of them no matter what happened. But when they started yelling, crucify him, crucify him, well, he said, well, I got to let somebody go then because we only got three crosses. I got two thieves and Barabbas. You know what the crowd said? Release Barabbas and crucify Christ. Amen. Now, what was Barabbas? The Bible says he was an insurrectionist. He was a riot starter. He was even considered a murderer and a thief. And they let him go to make room to crucify Christ. Amen? So when we think about it, looking back, we can say, well, that was a disgraceful thing they did. But what about the people that walked the streets of Jerusalem? Maybe he had healed their blind eyes. Maybe he had touched them when they had leprosy. Maybe he had done many miracles, if not to them, in front of them. Amen. And why did he have to die such a disgraceful death? Well, it was for the shout of the people, those that thought they were in uh, uh, 
control and what they were supposed to do. But he did die, even a death on the cross, the disgraceful death of the cross. Amen? But in verse 9, it starts out with the word wherefore. Now, we've got four study words. Wherefore and therefore is one of them. What's it mean? When you see the word wherefore, it should be a red light flash in your mind to say, you've got to look at what he just said because this is the conclusion to that matter. In other words, what I'm going to tell you after wherefore is based on what I just said. That's what wherefore means. Amen. But it says wherefore... God hath highly exalted him and give him a name which is above every name. Why? Because he was obedient. He was a servant. He humbled himself to be the will that God wanted him to be. He was one that God wanted to use for a special purpose and that purpose was so that you and I could have our sins forgiven and have, if you would, uh, a way to make it back to heaven with God. So when he says that, he's highly exalted. And then, and then it says, which is above every name. And if you notice after the word name, there's a colon there. Huh. Now we've taught you what the colon means. What's that mean? It means, and add to that. Let's add to that verse 10 and 11. That at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and, and things under earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So once he went through what he went through on the cross as the humble, obedient servant of God, it opened the door for us that we could bow before him, recognize him, and be a part of the will just like he was. Turn with me into Isaiah 45:23. I just want to read something to you because this is not really anything new. And Michael put it on the board if you got it from me. Isaiah 45 and 23 says, "I have sworn myself and and give and I have sworn by myself the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return." You see, when God sends something out that's truth, it doesn't come back. It's always truth. He doesn't change his mind. Truth never changes its mind. And he says that unto me <coughs> every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear or confess. Amen. In the Old Testament, he told them that. You're all going to face me, he said, and you're all going to confess how good a God I am. Turn with me over into Romans, 14th chapter. Verse 11, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God, so that every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Amen. So for him to, to say, every knee shall bow, Paul didn't make that up. Jesus didn't tell him to say that. The Holy Spirit, in his mind, impressed him or inspired him. Remember what the scripture said? Every knee shall bow. Amen. He said it in the Old Testament. He said it in the New Testament. 
and it's now a reality. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess what God has for them. Amen? So every knee that bows and every tongue that confesses, that's a sign of being exalted or exalted that Christ would be the one that would receive the glory for that. Amen? Now where is this all going to take place? Paul, inspired by the Holy Ghost, says that it's going to be things in heaven. Well, when I think of things in heaven, I look at it as two ways. What's God's will and what's not God's will? Things in heaven, what's God's will? That is that we be spiritually His church. Amen. We'll be raised up in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, the Scripture tells us. Amen. And then is what about things in earth? Well, the, the everyday says on earth, whether it's on earth or in earth. When I think of in earth or on earth, I'm thinking of me. Because what am I made of? God made me out of the dirt to start with. When he was decided to make man, what did he do? Spit on the ground, made a big dirt ball, and here we are. So when you think you're something special, just think about where you came from. Amen? Had he not breathed the breath of life into Adam, Adam would still be just nothing but a dirt ball. Amen? So it's as your life as a Christian. What are you going to do? Amen? What's the will of God for your life even on earth? And then he even speaks about under earth. Well, under earth is a phrase they use to denote, if you would, people that aren't. Christians or are not, they're sinners. Let's call it as it is. And that's their life as a sinner. But what's God's will for them? Guess what? They're going to bow their knee. Their tongue's going to confess. May not be on this earth, but it's going to take place. It's going to happen. Amen. Nobody gets around that. No matter what your destination in eternity is, God will be exalted through Jesus Christ and you will have to acknowledge it. Amen. Those that end up in the uh, hell are going to be there because they acknowledged they refused to do the things of Christ. Amen. The same is true of our testimony. Look at verse number 11. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. See, God went out of his way to make room for us in heaven. Isn't that cool? Every one of us that want to be there can go there. You can. Amen. But you have to do it a certain way. What is that way? You have to go through Jesus Christ. He's the door. He's the only way. There's no other way to heaven except through Jesus Christ. I know there's a lot of people who want to argue with me about that. And, and I, I would be willing to sit down and take the Bible and talk with them about it. But you can't work hard enough. You can't pay the enough money in the offering plate. You can't do enough works in the church. You can't do enough unless you come through Jesus Christ. He is the only way to heaven. So if you're a sinner and end up in hell eternally, throughout eternity, you will be confessing that Jesus is Christ. Amen? Even if you reject his, his plan of salvation... You are going to be a testimony as to what Jesus Christ could do had you had the mind of Christ. Again, in verse number 12, it says, Wherefore. Now, what do we say that means? Based on what was just said previously, here's what I want to tell you now. Wherefore, 
my beloved, as ye have always also as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Now this is Paul writing to these people in Philippians or the Philippi, those people, because he had preached to them before he wrote this letter. He had been there. He'd been a part of starting the church in Philippi. He'd been somebody that was instrumental in getting this work rolling so that those people would know Jesus and what he could mean to their lives, not only in this life, but in the world to come. So as he comes in, he says, uh, as you have always obeyed, of course, that's good to do. When you come to church, it's easy to obey, isn't it? But what about the rest of the week? What are you going to do? Well, it's easy to obey when you're in the presence of the pastor. But what about when the pastor's not around? That's what Paul's saying. You need to live the mind of Christ even when the church is not, is not in session, if you would, or the pastor's not around, or anybody else that knows you is as a Christian. If there's no Christians around you, you don't have the right to act other than as the mind of Christ would have you to act. Amen. Yeah, I'm surprised, and I've said it many a times, how many times I meet somebody and what they will say on the phone or in person even, and then they find out I'm a pastor. Instantly, the conversation changes. You know, Instantly, they become cleaned up and and uh, speak a lot different things. But he says here, my beloved. Wherefore, my beloved. Now, who would the beloved be? That'd be the saints. That'd be the ones that took heed to Paul's preaching, to Paul's teaching, to Paul's help that he was giving to those folks. It's the saints that have conformed, if you would, to the mind of Christ. I want you to understand here that it's not whether you can please me when you're in the church building or even in my presence. What do you do when you're all alone and the devil's all around you? Do you change? Amen. You got to think about those things. But when uh, Paul says, when I was in your presence and in my, in my absence, I want you to know you've got to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now I realize fear and trembling, the word fear in a lot of cases in the scripture doesn't mean you're scared or you're shaking in your boots or your knees are knocking. Not that kind of fear. Fear is a reverential respect for God. They use that word in the old times as fear to mean you need to respect God. If there's one thing we need to do, it's that we need to show God more respect. He's done so much for us and so many people just count it light and chaffy and push it to the side, but we need to respect God in everything that he's done for us. And then it says in fear and trembling, and of course with the trembling there, a lot of people then revert, revert back to their minds uh, thinking of fear as being scared of God. Well, I'd say it's probably not a bad thing to be scared of God in a proper way. Don't be afraid of him because he can send you to hell, but be afraid of him because he's done what he can to, so that you might miss hell. And you have opportunity to go where he is and be what he wants you to be. And he said for in verse 13, For it is God 
which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So if you're doing the will of God and you're doing what he finds pleasure in leading you to do, you're going to be pleasing to God. Amen? Those are the things you need to do. I didn't read verse 14, but verse 14 says, do it without murmuring and complaining. Amen. Amen. Sometimes I wonder, when I'm talking to Christians, all they want to do is complain and murmur and, oh, it's so bad and it's so terrible and I can't believe this. But no, do it without that. Trust God. Have the mind of Christ. Allow God to work in your life in everything that's going forward in your life. And he can give you what you need to be the, the child of God he wants you to be. I like what it says in the Amplified. Let me read that in closing to you. Verse number 12 and 13. Again, Paul's just talking to the people in Philippi just from his heart, if you would. It says, my dear friends. Huh. As you have always obeyed God when I was with you, it's even more important that you obey him now while I'm away from you. See, you can't be everywhere all the time. Jesus couldn't even do that. Amen? And, but we need to do some things here. He says, work on, uh, keep on working to complete your salvation with fear and trembling. Because God is working in you to help you want to do and be able to do what pleases Him. Amen. Is that your heart's desire to please God? It ought to be. If you got the mind of Christ, that should be frontmost and foremost in your mind. I got to please God. I got to do what he wants me to do. I have so much I need to do that I'm not getting done and not getting to where God wants me to be. I need to be more like Christ. And the way to do that is have the mind of Christ. Amen? Amen. I know I've heard people um, say, I learned this because I sat under the professor at college and he taught this. Well, maybe he knew what he was talking about. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he knows the truth and maybe he don't. I think you need to search out everything you do in your life based on where you got that information. If you got it from the Word of God or the Spirit of God, no question, it's truth. But anywhere else you got information from, you ought to have a mind of Christ to search it out by the Word of God and the Spirit of God to make sure it's the will of God for your life. Amen? Amen. And remember... Jesus never said it'd be easy, just worth it.